welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, even as the nation reels from the second mass shooting in a week with the killing on Monday, March 22nd of 10 people at a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado, we continue to unpack the murders of eight people, including six Asian American women at massage parlors outside Atlanta, Georgia. And this within the context of the sharp rise in hate crimes against people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent. Today, we specifically focus on the interrelationship of racism, sexism, criminalization of, and violence against sex workers. Uh, let us go now uh, to a clip uh, from a vigil that was organized by Red Canary Song uh, in commemoration of the women who were killed in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Let's go to, to that begin, clip now. We want to name the lives we've lost. Delena Ashley Yuan, Paul Andre Michaels, Zhao Jitan, Del Yu Feng, Julie Pak, Pak Hyun Chung, and two other people who have not been named yet. We honor your life. We mourn your death. We grieve for the families and friends who have lost you to white supremacist violence. <laughs> With heavy hearts, we call our community together to mourn the eight lives lost during the shooting on Tuesday night in the Atlanta area. As we pay honor to the individual victims and send support to the survivors, it's undeniable that this was an act of targeted violence against Asian women massage workers. As Asian massage and sex workers, we wish to hold a space of radical love and care for our shared communities and to remember to let grief be a part of our movement building process. A quote from Benji Hart that was once shared with me from an experienced organizer. Let grief be a part of the movement building process for which we allow hallowed space and let it build within us the compassion, wisdom, and rage that propel us into new battles. Alrighty, and um... That is from a Red Canary Song of Vigil that they recently held. Our panelists are uh, Kaling Zhang with Red Canary Song, Tamika, a black trans sex worker, and Alex Makulit with the U.S. Prostitutes Collective. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. President Joe Biden visited the Atlanta area where the killings of eight uh, people happened, six women of Asian descent in the Atlanta, Georgia area, uh, both he and Vice President Kamala Harris, of course, Kamala Harris, um, black and of Asian descent herself, have denounced uh, what has happened. And uh, um, there are many who are calling from the Asian American and Pacific Islander community for the crime to be listed as a hate crime, the murders to be listed as a hate crime. The media have very much picked up on the narrative that the killer, um, he had a sex addiction and this was his way of dealing with it. And even a sheriff who has now been forced to step down uh, in the area, uh, said that the killer was having a bad day. This has outraged uh, people from around the country, particularly the impacted uh, communities. Meanwhile, uh, after Donald Trump's um, stepping up uh, his calls around uh, COVID-19, calling it the China virus and 
uh, Kung Fu virus, etc. We have seen the hate crimes against Asian Americans skyrocket uh, over the past few years, more than 3,000 uh, hate crimes. And also uh, re related to this, Representative Grace Meng, who is a Democrat of New York, she has now uh, introduced uh, legislation that has been revised according to USA Today um, from the last Congress. It was introduced but not passed in the last Congress. Uh, and what it would do would, would create a position in the Department of Justice, a new position um, that would review and facilitate hate crimes and also provide oversight of hate crimes related to COVID-19. And uh, there is some expectation of some pushback in the Senate. Um, Representative Meng, uh, um, Meng thinks that it will pass in the House. So we'll see how that goes. But today, we have a special uh, roundtable which I will introduce uh, very shortly, of sex workers who are giving their reaction, their response uh, to what happened in the Atlanta area. Uh, but first, I'd like to go to, again, a clip, uh, Red Canary, which is an organization, um, a sex worker rights organization. They held a vigil um, in commemoration of the victims of the Atlanta shootings. And I would like to go to a clip um, right now of a woman um, forcefully uh, speaking out about what has happened. Let's go to that clip now. Thanks so much, Eves. Um, thank you everyone for coming together. Uh, we're gathered during a time of incredible violence and it's senseless violence and it feels completely overwhelming right now to think about it. Um, there's increased violence all over the country against, anti against Asians, um, but some people are more vulnerable to that violence than others. And Asian women, Asian migrants, Asian massage workers, Asian sex workers are even more vulnerable to this epidemic of anti-Asian violence, especially during this pandemic, when people have to do whatever they need to do to survive. And during this time, we need to protect each other and we need to stand up for each other. So I hope that we can talk a little bit about what that would mean. What does it mean to stand up for each other right now in this moment? It's really hard to wrap our minds around the kind of violence that just happened in Atlanta because it's so senseless, it's, it's so horrific. It was no less than an act of terrorism, an act of hate. This act of hate was committed by someone who the media tells us was a sex addict, who went to therapy for his sex addictions, and who felt that shooting women in three massage parlors in Atlanta was justified because he wanted to get rid of a temptation. It's because of his hate that he made human beings, mothers, sisters, daughters, into something less than human. And the most difficult thing about this kind of hate is that it was wrapped in something holy, something righteous. It's the oldest hate wrapped up in God, which is also wrapped up in love and wrapped up in loathing. He hated himself. His roommate said he hated his porn addiction. He hated the sin of his sexual urges. And so he took out that hate on other people. He walked into three massage parlors and he shot workers and customers. He shot at everyone involved in the space and involved in the sin that he could not escape within himself because he could not see that these people were not him, separate from himself and his ideology. All he could see is his own self-loathing and he could not see these people as human beings. This is the problem that we experience so often as sex workers. People swallow you up in the ideas they have about you and they refuse to see you. That invisibilization is a form of anti-Asian violence. These people that paint pictures of us, of who we're supposed to be, they're the only ones that are allowed to be human. Even the police made excuses for this man saying he was just having a bad day. But this was not a bad day. This was a hate crime. It was also a religious jihad against sex workers that he had been harboring inside his heart for a long time. And the scary thing about this kind of hate crime is that it has doctrine behind it. And the people, the nonprofit workers, the pastors who come in to rescue these women and to help these women after the crime has been done, they're also driven by the same doctrine. 
They have the same motivation, the same God, the same love, and the same hate to rid the world of temptation and sin and to harm others because they cannot control themselves. To reduce human beings, mothers, daughters, to an abstraction. This is what sex workers are faced with all the time, reduced to the ideas of others and punished for the self-loathing of others. Clients do this. Judges do this. Police do this. Social workers also do this to sex workers. The media does this to sex workers. The government does this to sex workers. It is so violent to erase a human being in this way, and it leaves the human lost in translation. And people like Robert Long, who are tortured by their own hate, their own doctrine, they go to conversion therapy. They go to sex addiction centers and Alcoholics Anonymous, and they find ways to try to save themselves. When sex workers are arrested, we're also put into conversion camps so that the people who can't even save themselves can have a go and try to save us instead. And they take it out on us, their ideas. They hate us so that they can hate themselves less. And then they arrest us and teach us to hate ourselves. As Asian women, we are already seen as outsiders to society. And we're so often fetishized, we're silenced, we're reduced to an idea. But add to this Asian womanhood the outsiderhood of being a migrant, a sex worker, that combination is deadly. To be Asian, migrant, and sex worker is deadly in the United States today, and that is not okay. Let's take this moment to stand up together and to hold each other as human beings, not as ideas, not as doctrines, not as slogans, without righteousness, because all of those abstractions reduce us to something less than human. And I hope that we can look at each other with our eyes open and push back against the people who refuse to see us and just demand to be seen. I hope we can rage, rage together so that we can fight for one another in all of our wholeness. So we can fight for one another. I'd now like to uh, welcome our panelists and I'd like to welcome uh, Kailing Zhang, who goes as she, her, executive director of the Asian Pacific American Task Force um, in the New York State Assembly, a co-founder of Red Canary Song. And that was uh, uh, Kay's voice that we heard in that clip. Very, very moving clip. Uh, welcome, Kay Ling Thank you so much, Margaret. Thank you for having me on your show. It's All a real right. honor to be able to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us. Uh, and of course, our hearts and our sympathy goes out to your community, the entire community impacted by this. I'd also like to welcome uh, another panelist, uh, Tamika, who is a sex workers rights activist and movement builder. She goes by she, her, hers, a pioneering activist and advocate. Uh, Tamika is leading a movement so that present and future black and brown sex workers in Washington, D.C. can truly know what freedom and belonging is and means in a world that tries to criminalize and control their bodies, political autonomy, and agency. Tamika, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. All righty. Thank you, Tamika. I'd also like to welcome Alex, um, who goes by they, them, theirs. Uh, Alex is a gender-fluid Filipina-American uh, based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the child of immigrant parents of Filipino and Jewish diasporas. Um, they, meaning Alex, is uh, with the U.S. Prostitutes Collective, a multiracial network of women who work or have worked in different areas of the sex industry, campaigning for the full decriminalization of prostitution and for justice, uh, protection against violence and resources for sex workers. Alex, welcome. Thank you for having me on the show, Margaret. All righty. Well, um, Kai, we'll start with you. Actually, we heard your very, very moving uh, testimony there at the clip at the beginning. And we're also going to hopefully be able to integrate some of the music um, from your the vigil that you held. But first, uh, tell us about Red Canary Song. You're a co-founder of Red Canary Song. Tell us about the organization. Uh, yes. So uh, Red Canary Song uh, was 
uh, founded in 2018 after the death of a massage parlor worker, Song Yang, um, on 40th Road in Flushing, Queens. Um, uh, myself and um, a few other sex workers in the area um, uh, gathered around to try to support the family members who, of this massage worker, Song Yang, who came in from China uh, looking for justice um, for their sister and daughter. And um, as we, you know, connected with other massage parlor workers and other sex workers in, in, in the block and the neighborhood um, where Song Yang worked, we realized that so many people were experiencing uh, police violence, um, extortion, um, as well as unanswered um, calls when it comes to actual crime and theft from other uh, people, other clients, or other people in the, in the, in, in the industry. And so, um, you know, there, we realized there was a real problem in terms of the relationship between sex workers um, and local police who were causing a lot of harm, including pushing this massage worker uh, to her death um, while failing to be there for people uh, when they needed them. So, um, uh, you know, Red Canary has been building for the last uh, three years now and um, continues to be a sex worker-led collective. Um, and I'm actually no longer, uh, I was the, the founder um, years ago, but I'm currently um, working in government. I'm a former sex worker, uh, currently uh, working in a position in the New York State Assembly. And so we're addressing issues of anti-Asian violence um, and trying to support groups like Red Canary um, as much as possible right, right now. Okay, thank, thank you for that. And, you know, there is, uh, Kai, one of the issues here in Southern California that I personally have been involved in in the mid-1980s, I founded a coalition called the Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Murders. Um, right now in a 40-mile radius of South Los Angeles, there are about 200 uh, black women who are victims of, there were about five serial killers operating at the same time. And if you would believe this, in a 40-mile radius in South Los Angeles, and of those 200, there are possibly more, um, they are victims and or likely, um, since they haven't been found, assumed to be victims as well. So in dealing with the families and, and the entire community, there's a lot of sensitivity about victims um, being uh, viewed as a stereotype um, that they're all referred to as sex workers, whether or not they were sex workers. Some of them were, not all of them were. But in the statement that uh, Red Canary song, I know you co-founded the organization, though you, you have a, a different role now in government, but I just wanted you to respond to this because in, in the statement it says, Asian massage workers are harmed by the criminalization of sex work, regardless of whether they engage in it themselves. Uh, tell us what, what is meant by that. Yes, so certainly in this case, if the media is reporting correctly about um, the motivations of, this, uh, of, of Robert Aaron Long, um, he perceived these women to be sex workers. He, worked, he targeted workplaces uh, that had been reviewed online uh, for providing sexual services. So even if everyone, you know, who was harmed in this, uh, in these three establishments, one, two in Atlanta and one outside of Atlanta, even if they weren't uh, sex workers themselves, uh, they were targeted for violence uh, because of being in a place that is associated with sex work and being, you know, of a race and gender that is associated with sex work. Um, so the harm of criminalization of sex work impacts uh, all Asian women who are often, you know, stereotyped to be more sexually available because of, you know, the images that we have around sex work. Um, and also, you know, in particular, in this, in this case, it really is the hate, is the hate crime against sex and against sexuality and against sex workers that really drove, um, drove this, this person and, and create, you know, made this horrific um, crime like possible. So uh, you, you you know it's actually quite um, it's it's really weird to me that you know, a lot of places you know people are are a little bit afraid to put sex work at the forefront of this story um, out of I think a desire to protect the victims and, and not wanting to add additional shame, um, including the mayor who said you know 
Uh, we don't want to victim shame or we don't want to victim blame these people. Um, there's so much that that's really loaded in that statement. It, it, it kind of presumes that if these people were sex workers, that somehow they would be blamed. They would be it would be okay to blame them and for the horrific crime that happened to them. And that's just never okay. Like our society's assumptions that sex workers are somehow less deserving of safety um, is exactly the problem that uh, drives such high rates of violence against sex workers. And we have to tackle this issue at the root, uh, which is really dealing with the stigma and shame against sexuality and against sex work and finding ways of integrating all people in our society, especially the most vulnerable uh, women who are, you know, for whatever reasons, doing whatever work they need to do to survive. Right, and, and Tamika, bringing you into this discussion, uh, first of all, your response to what happened um, in the Atlanta, Georgia area and uh, how it has been portrayed in, in the media, but your thoughts on the case that uh, Kylie Zhang is making. Uh, Tamika, welcome. Um, it, it's, it's horrific that we are still being shamed for being sex workers. It is time for us to realize that sex is natural, it happens, and that this young man's problem is his own, and he took it out on a whole community. He has a whole community fearing what's next. You know, and, and if we could get past our own moral standpoint on things and stop judging people for how they choose to live. You know, I'm a, I'm a sex worker that is a Christian, but I know how to keep them separate. You know, the Bible tells us about the separation in and of itself. It says, render unto Caesar what is his and render unto God what is his. And there's a clear definition and defining line there. But at no point does it ever say that it is okay to hurt or harm someone else because of your own beliefs. It said that we're supposed to be loving one another. We're supposed to be each other's keeper. And that's where I come in because we need to decriminalize sex work and normalize it. We already have a legal porn industry. You know, and like I said, this young man's problem is his own. He has a mental health problem that makes him think that it was okay to go and eliminate people because of his addiction. That's like saying, because I am an alcoholic, I can go in and kill everybody at the liquor store or a bar. It's the same premise. It is like if I have a, a, a food addiction, I can go shoot up McDonald's or Hooters. That's nonsense. And the apologizers that are supporting him need to really take a step back and look at the lives that were lost because of his problem. That was his problem. Something that could have been addressed by going to see a therapist, which should be a normal function, especially after a whole year of being locked up, being locked away, being restricted. We're not even looking at that aspect of, of the harm that COVID-19 has brought into this. You know, outside of what negative rhetoric came out of the White House under the Trump re regime, because that was not a presidency, that was a regime. Right. It's, just uh, a bunch, it's just negativity upon negativity upon negativity, and it's all pointing at the sex worker when we have rights job protection right and we'll we'll no, talk a little uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that um uh tamika uh thank you for your thoughts there and uh let's bring alex into this discussion uh alex who is of uh asian uh descent herself uh with u.s prostitutes collective and and alex the the collective has done um, a lot of work around the whole issue of violence against sex workers and the interrelationship between criminalization and violence, which is a point that both Kai and Tamika have made. So Alex, give us your thoughts, your reaction to this situation of, in terms of what happened uh, in Atlanta and the vulnerability of sex workers to violence. 
Alex. Hi. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Um, yes, I just want to say that what Kate and Tamika have shared are just very important to highlight um, that the stigmatization of sex work um, that comes from the criminalization of sex work impacts the most vulnerable people in our community. Um, 73% of women, or 73% of people who are living in poverty are women. Um, one in four people are Asian living in poverty. Um, and I think that it's really important for us to highlight that people in this country and all over the world go into sex work for survival. Um, and because they are also stigmatized by racism and sexual violence, <clears throat> these people are not, like, we're, we're not recognized uh, as human. Um, you mentioned before the murders, uh, the serial murders that have happened in L.A., and many times those murders go seen as NHIs, which is no human involved. Um, and it's just really important that we recognize the folks that the media continue to demonize um, for the violence that we face. Um, and it's also important to, <clears throat> to look at decriminalization as an answer to solving a lot of the problems and to help stopping violence towards women in particular, sex workers. Um, in San Francisco, U.S. Prostitutes Collective has been involved in a lot of legislation that puts in protections for people who work in the sex industry, um, particularly people who are working at street level, um, who face violence from the police, um, and... Yeah, there's just a lot of uh, blatant violence that happens to sex workers on the street. Um, and some of the legislation that has been passed uh, <clears throat> is specifically in San Francisco, the SF, PD, and DA office has policies that uh, protect sex workers from arrest and uh, prosecution when reporting violence. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with stigma is that when sex workers, when we experience violence, we don't want to go to the police because we're criminalized further for this, um, for just trying to survive. <clears throat> and Alex, this stigma allows people to think that it's okay for us to be the ones who are experiencing violence. Um, and this harms everyone else. Um, so when they justify violence against sex workers, they're saying that it's okay to assume that someone is a sex worker and then do violence against them because no one's going to do anything. Um, so right, Alex, Alex, hold, hold that thought, Alex. We're going to have to take our station break, and when we return, we're also, you'll have a chance to talk a bit more about the, um, the ordinances, et cetera, of, of the collective. We're going to take a station break, and when we return, um, we're making a little bit of history here on Sojourner Truth. We've got a panel of sex workers, uh, Kailing Zhang, with, um, who is the executive director of the Asian Pacific American Task Force in the New York State Assembly. She's a co-founder of Red Canary Song. Also, uh, Tamika, who is a pioneering activist and advocate based in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, a sex worker working on black and brown uh, sex worker rights in particular, and Alex, uh, who is of uh, Asian descent, Filipino-American, um, with U.S. Prostitutes Collective. So stay with us, a fascinating roundtable. We'll be right back.
our music today comes from the vigil uh, that was held by Red Canary Song as they memorialized uh, the women who were killed, six of whom were of Asian descent who were killed just a week ago in the Atlanta, Georgia area. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you've missed any part of our hour, our handle on Instagram and Twitter, at So True Radio. And uh, we're also on Facebook. You can like and friend us on Facebook. Our website is, is down at the moment. It'll be back soon. Uh, where we have our community calendar, but you could also hear us nationwide and worldwide where you can archive all of our back shows as well on SoundCloud. And today we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Queens, New York City, in Queens, New York City, and internationally, we would like to give a shout out to all of our listeners in Thailand. And we are having a roundtable uh, discussion following the murders of the eight people uh, who were killed in Atlanta, Georgia, six of them, uh, um, women of Asian descent um, who worked in massage parlors in that area. And our panelists are Kylie Zhang, who is the executive director of the Asian Pacific American Task Force in the New York State Assembly, a co-founder of Red Canary Song. Also, uh, Tamika, um, who is leading a movement so that present and future black and brown sex workers in Washington, D.C. Uh, can know what full freedom is, she says, and uh, is very, feels very strongly about decriminalization and the right of everyone to be able to control their own bodies, political autonomy and agency. And Alex, who is a Filipino-American from the San Francisco Bay Area uh, with U.S. Prostitutes Collective. Um, before we continue now hearing from our panelists, um, all of this is happening within the context of an uptick of um, anti Asian racism, really, of violent um, attacks over the past year. 3,800, we're told, in the past year. Let's go to a clip on that right now. As Blaine mentioned, most of those killings in the Georgia shootings were Asian women, and it all comes at a time of increased attacks on Asians and Asian Americans across the U.S. Just yesterday, the group Stop AAPI Hate released new data saying it recorded nearly 3,800 anti-Asian hate incidents between March of last year and February of this year. I want to bring in Kimmy Yam, who reports for NBC Asian America. Kimmy, thanks for joining us. You've studied this report, which logged a much higher number of incidents than we knew of the year before. So what is the group saying about the nature of these attacks? Yeah, um, so... You know, the report came out yesterday. It logged about 3,800 incidents, and these range um, kind of between, you know, more microaggressions to also verbal attacks um, and, you know, also vis uh, physical attacks. Um, this is over a span of roughly 12 months in the pandemic. And compared to the report that came out last year, it's about 1,000 incidents up from what we uh, were seeing um, the report last year kind of spanned over the course of five months in the pandemic. Uh, the group, however, does caution against saying that what we're seeing is a surge or using any sort of time analysis uh, when we're talking about this, because we know that there is a clear issue with underreporting in the community. Um, I know that, you know, there are oftentimes language barriers to reporting these sorts of incidents. There's also um, mistrust of law enforcement or other types of, uh, you know, these reporting forms, and also just, um, you know, an overall lack of awareness sometimes from people in the community uh, that these resources exist. Um, but. Truly, this is something that, you know, while we can't say there's necessarily a surge, uh, experts do mention that it's uh, clear that none of the discrimination and racism that Asian Americans have been facing throughout this pandemic has really abated. Yeah, Kimmy, the new report also shows that a disproportionate number of attacks have been directed at women. Tell us more about that. Um, right. So, 
According to the report, women are about 2.3 times, uh, you know, they report 2.3 times more than men. Uh, the report showed that 68% of respondents were women compared to roughly 29% um, who were men. And experts say that this really reflects uh, this sort of racialized type of sexism that Asian American women face. Um, you know, Asian American women face uh, a lot of public safety issues, um, you know, even when we're not in a pandemic. This is definitely exacerbated now that we are in one. Um, and Asian American women have dealt with harassment, um, you know, prior to the pandemic as well. Uh, as mentioned in a lot of the reports, there is this intersection of racism and sexism. And, you know, along with, uh, you know, statements like go back to your country, this is accompanied by uh, a lot of, you know, misogynistic uh, language that also plays into it. Um, so there really is this sort of intersectional dynamic going on. Kimmy, um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. All righty. And um, yes, that uh, clip uh, from NBC. And uh, Kylin, let us uh, go to you uh, because it really seems like a coming together of a number of things here. There is all the anti-Asian uh, rhetoric uh, coming from the, the White House, the past administration, and the attacks that you just heard generally on the street. And, and now the killings that happened in Atlanta against the women. But again, um, um, at least Red Canary Song and a number of other sex worker organizations that I have heard about are nevertheless rejecting a call for increased policing um, in response. Um, tell us, you know, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, Red Canary Song has a firm stance um, uh, in solidarity with other communities of color and organizations of color. Uh, in support of defunding and abolishing police um, because uh, police have not in any way gained trust of sex workers, um, particularly migrant sex workers uh, in the communities they're working with uh, in Flushing, Queens, and in Chinatown. Um, in fact, police have been some of the primary contributors to that violence. Um, there's a ProPublica report that was published about two months ago looking at the degree to which um, police have uh, committed sexual violence and extortion and, and corruption against sex workers in New York City um, and had all of these things sort of swept under the rug um, by judges that would not bring these issues to court. And so, you know, this is, um, until there's like real transformation in the police, I simply cannot trust police officers to do um, anything to really protect uh, communities that are already so marginalized and uh, considered outside the law, outside of society. Um, in terms of looking at numbers of, uh, of, of hate crimes against Asians, uh, certainly across the country there has been such a huge increase of random acts of violence, especially against our elders on the streets. Um, people have been had acid you know, thrown on their faces by neighbors while they're taking out the garbage. They've been you know, pushed down onto the sidewalk uh, while trying to get their groceries. And so this is incredibly um, alarming, um, especially given the way a lot of Asian businesses and a lot of Asian community, have, um, community organizations have struggled to, uh, to survive during the pandemic uh, due to increased um, discrimination against the businesses and against uh, people working within um, Asian and non-Asian businesses. So, you know, adding the pandemic to this um, degree of hate to all the economic crises that's happening in our neighborhoods, um, it just makes this a really, really difficult time for everyone. However, uh, sex workers um, have been experiencing a lot of violence, you know, even before the pandemic, even before this current um, hate crime wave. Uh, just last year, there was a woman who, um, in Flushing, was attacked uh, with a hammer by, by someone who came through the door of the massage parlor. And, you know, this is not an isolated incident. Um, you know, over and over again, we see people, we see violence um, against immigrant massage parlors in particular uh, kind of swept un under the rug. And um, in, in some ways, this is a moment when I think a lot of our uh, friends and allies in the Asian-American community are also 
uh, paying more attention to violence against sex workers and, and understanding that particular intersection between Asian American community organizing and sex worker rights organizing, um, why it's so important as Asian American women to understand and stand in solidarity with uh, Asian American sex workers um, because, uh, you know, the, the harms targeted against sex workers uh, impact people who are not sex workers as well, who are Asian American. So um, I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually a time where I think we are able to really address this issue um, more successfully within um, the framework of anti-Asian violence um, when sometimes uh, our issues have actually been marginalized even within the Asian American community. Right, and thank you for that, Kaylin. And uh, Tamika, I mean, what, you know, uh, there are people who are writing now about the kind of sexualization of Asian women and how that has played into uh, the, the statistic of uh, the numbers of Asian uh, women who are being attacked right now. But certainly as a person of African descent, as I am, we know that we have that long history going back to the days of slavery, um, of, of being dehumanized, and also that we have seen a spate of murders of black women. I mean, they're the serial murders in South LA, but the murders of black trans women in particular. I wonder if you want to tell us uh, a little bit about that and how you see the connection um, with these murders and the uh, discrimination and criminalization against sex workers, Tamika. Black and brown skin has always been fetishized. It's like a forbidden fruit, you know, and, and we get caught up in, in, in people's fantasies about what it's like to be with a person of, of Asian descent, uh, African descent, um, um, women from the Caribbean, from, from, from the Pacific Islands. We're fetishized. This is where a lot of the attention comes from that's negative. And then when it comes to the policing, the police have never been protective of sex workers. Sex workers are, are our own community of protection. I look to my sisters and brothers in the streets to be there and be my back more so than I would the police. You know, they brought excessive amounts of harm into our community from the violence that they commit upon us all the way out to them ignoring crimes as they were happening because they sit there and they see it. So there that is. What we need to be looking towards is pushing the people's justice guarantee by Ayanna Presley from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, she's a Congress representative for Boston, and, and I've worked and consulted with her on this bill, which calls for the full decriminalization of sex work, as well as a number of other criminal justice um, issues that affect black and brown people. This is something that I've been talking about and pushing recently because it's up for reintroduction. And, it, and this is something that is direly needed, even though I'm still pushing here locally in the District of Columbia to have sex work decriminalized, this has to happen nationwide so that we won't have these incidences in Atlanta. Right. Tell and us the name all... of that bill again, also, Tamika, people who might want the to support people's... it and look it up. The People's Justice Guarantee. Right. You know, and, yeah. and... Carry on. When we get sex work decriminalized and we start working on reducing the police force because that needs to happen too because the police are too big they're not effective crime is going to happen and that is not what the right answer to crime is it is a, a, a direct injection of resources and 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 things that are needed in the community you know and and, and even look towards having a universal basic income so that i as a sex worker would not have to work so hard and that I could start trying to build my own safety within my home and, and, and be able to be okay, you know. But in the instances that we do have these types of violence, there has to be some sort of a community accountability, some reparations to the victim, because we are victims. 
and 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 I don't know if there will ever be a time when sex workers would trust the police or be able to communicate with them, but at some point we may want to engage with the legal system. And if we so choose to, we need to be able to do so anonymously because we know how the police are. They are a retaliatory type of environment. You know, to me, they're the biggest gang walking the streets in the United States. Right, and thank you. And um, just Alex bringing you into this conversation, I'm looking at the clock, how time has flown. We're practically out of time. But um, Alex, um, Tamika talked about this bill, um, the People's Justice Bill with um, introduced by Yana Presley. Um, who is part of the squad, a black uh, woman who is part of the squad, a congresswoman. And also, um, Kylin uh, talked about being part of the Asian Pacific American Task Force in the New York State Assembly. So sex workers, is a sex worker movement that is pushing back. And with um, Alex, you started to talk about some of the things that U.S. Prostitutes Collective was able to, to d win in terms of uh, um, immunity from arrest, um, um, meeting with the DA and the San Francisco Police Department on policies in relation to sex workers in the Bay Area and also compensation for rape and other violence, not only for sex workers, but also formerly incarcerated people. We only have a, a few minutes, Alex, so just tell us a little bit about, um, uh, you know, the pushback that's happening and the movement. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so in San Francisco, um, U.S. Prostitutes Collective has been organizing for a very long time, and there are several different um, campaigns that we have led. Uh, one was the compensation piece in the California Victims Compensation Fund. Sex workers and formerly incarcerated people were excluded. Um, from being able to receive compensation after being raped. And so we were able to overturn that. And now um, sex workers and formerly incarcerated people can apply and uh, receive compensation for sexual violence um, and other violence they've experienced. Um, we've also been able to work with... Um, or work towards getting a policy in the San Francisco Police Department that says that sex workers um, will not be prosecuted or arrested um, when reporting violence that they've either experienced or witnessed. Um, and this also includes a clause that speaks to police violence. So if any police officer is caught um, committing uh, misconduct, including rape and, like, coercion and sexual assault on a sex worker, they will be held accountable for that. Um, of course, we can pass all the bills that we want, which is important that we do, but it's also important that after we pass these bills that we work together as a community to make sure that these laws are being implemented. Um, and particularly in this call for defunding the police, it's so important that we look at uh, decriminalizing sex work um, and understanding that this is a way that we can defund the police by doing this. Because when you ask to criminalize sex work and we enforce those laws, we're asking for more police. And it, historically, police have not done anything to protect people um, who are sex workers, and they actually cause more harm to us, um, which does make it really intimidating and scary and um, instill fear in us for calling the police when we need help, which, of course, as a community, we need to learn how to support each other instead of going to uh, racist institutions for help. But um, in reality, what happens is people who work in massage businesses, people who work as sex workers, people who are working in the underground economy um, are afraid to call for help uh, because we know that we will either face 
uh, criminalization, uh, deportation, all of it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, we have so a lot of... Alex, we, we only have about... We only have about 30 seconds or so left. Uh, very, very okay. quickly, for okay. people who want to get in touch with U.S. Prostitutes Collective, I know you all have a working group now working on a, a public information campaign. What should they do? Is there a website they can go to? Yes, you can go to uspros.net to get in contact with us um, and to support all of our work that we're doing right. with our okay. different organizations across the world. And Kylan Zong, just uh, uh, wrapping up here, I mean, one of the things that Red Canary says, quote, whether or not they, referring to the women who were killed in Atlanta, were actually sex workers or self-identified under that label, we know that as massage workers, they were subjected to sexualized violence stemming from the hatred of sex workers, Asian women, working class people, and immigrants. Um, uh, very well said there. Kylie, for people who want to know more about about Red Canary Song or about your work, what should they do? Uh, please follow Red Canary Song on Twitter, Red Canary Song, and uh, you can go to the website at redcanarysong.net. Um, just really want to thank uh, Tamika and Alex, um, U.S. Pros, and Tamika, all the amazing work you do. It's such an inspiration to us uh, here in New York City, so thank you so much. It's really amazing and an honor to be able to uh, speak with you. Today. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and Tamika, very quickly, is there a, a website or a way people could get in touch with your organization? You can reach out to me at Tamika at Hips or uh, hips.org on, um, okay. on the website. All righty. Well, thank all three of you. We hope to have you back. All the best to you, and good luck with your work. Um, we are out of time. Uh, today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank Kiana Williams sitting in for Romero Funes. And Mr. T is back, our audio engineer. If you'd like a copy of today's show, contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. Journal Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and you all, please stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. A long time coming, but I know Change gone.